Who believes what we've heard and seen? Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? The servant grew up before God, a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched field. There was nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down on and passed over. A man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. One look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him, thought he was scum. But the fact is, it was our pain he carried. Our disfigurements. All the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself, that God was punishing him for his own failures. But it was our sins that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him. Our sins. He took the punishment, and that made us whole. Through his bruises we get healed. We're all like sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way. And God has piled all our sins, everything we've done wrong, on him. On him. He was beaten, he was tortured, but he didn't say a word. Like a lamb taken to be slaughtered, and like a sheep being sheared, he took it all in silence. Justice miscarried, and he was let off. And did anyone really know what was happening? He died without a thought for his own welfare, beaten bloody for the sins of my people. They buried him with the wicked, threw him in a grave with a rich man, even though he'd never hurt a soul or said one word that wasn't true. Still, it's what God had in mind all along, to crush him with pain. The plan was that he give himself as an offering for sin so that he'd see life come from it, life life, and more life, and God's plan will deeply prosper through him. Out of that terrible travail of soul, he'll see that it's worth it and be glad he did it. Through what he experienced, my righteousness one, my servant, will make many righteous ones, as he himself carries the burdens of their sins. Therefore I'll reward him extravagantly, the best of everything, the highest honors, because he looked death in the face and didn't flinch, because he embraced the company of the lowest, he took on his own shoulders the sin of the many, and he took up the cause of all the black sheep. Thanks, Bernie. That reading was from Isaiah 53 out of the message and sort of sits in the background of what we're looking at today. Can you hear me? Everything good? Well, last week, you know, uh, those of you who are here know that I got sent home sick. Now, I heard you all cheered at that moment, which I'm a little concerned about. But I am very thankful for, um, for Joanne's willingness to send me home, for Aaron's willingness to step in, and for all of your willingness to those who stepped in musically and all, the, all that. So, thank you. One of those times uh, you hope doesn't happen, but inevitably, every once in a while it does. So, thankful for your care for me. So, here's round two. <laughs> I was ready to stumble through this last week, and it was so good I didn't. It was like the, it's like you're going to hear, it's like the pivotal story in Mark. And then I would have been badly, badly inadequate. So I'm thankful to be here again today. Well, we are back in Mark today. And uh, we come to not just another story in Mark. Not that any of them have been just another story. But we actually arrive at the pivotal story in the whole Gospel of Mark. It, 
all the commentators, all the readers, anyone who's read the book of Mark at all recognizes that the whole story of Mark hinges right here. Okay? It's, it's, it's where everything that has been told about Jesus so far and everything that comes after, it, it all turns at this pivot point. You can think of it kind of like a mountain summit. Some of you have hiked up summits. Some of you have tried. <laughs> Some of you have driven cars up there, I realize. Uh, but have you ever gone on a long mountain hike where you, you, as you're hiking, there's times when you can kind of see the goal, you can see the, mountain, the summit you're heading towards, and then other times you're around a bend, you're down in a bit of a gully, or you're in deep trees, and you can't, you can't see the summit. But you know that if you just stick on that path, eventually you'll get there. At least you hope you will. You're following some signposts, and, and you know that if you just persist, you'll get there. Well, the passage today... In Mark, it's kind of like that mountain peak where all the stories and all the conflicts and all the teachings and everything we've come to so far have been leading us up to this one summit. And the two questions that have been guiding us, kind of like signposts along the trail, have been the two questions that we've, we've been recalling them time and time again. The two questions that have driven the first half of the Gospel of Mark. It's the obvious ones. The next slide, Jack. Or Ethan, whoever's running it. Who is Jesus and can we trust him? And that's been the two dominant questions that I think Mark, as a writer, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has been posing to us. It's the two questions that we've used to guide us as we walked through the first half of Mark. These two questions of identity have guided us to this story, to this particular encounter about the identity of Jesus, where his identity comes into sharp focus. And just like any mountain summit, we're kind of able to stand at the top and we're able to look back down the trail we've just come from, back down the first eight chapters of Mark and see how everything that we've gone through, every story of a healing, every encounter with someone, every time Jesus had a party with sinners, we can see how all of these things have led us to this spot. But we can also turn around and look forward and we can see how the road, the, the road is going, the, the road we have yet to travel. We can see the pathway ahead and how it all flows from this summit. We can see how as we step down from this summit to resume the journey, the terrain is going to be different, but everything is leading from this place to the climax of the story of Jesus. And how we will come to know through the next half of Mark really who this Jesus is. We'll come to understand what he's come for. We're going to come to understand why he had to die And we're going to really be challenged about what it means for you and I to follow Him. To follow this Jesus. But today we stand on the summit. So we're going to dive into the story. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Mark 8. But I did get an insert put into your bulletin. And so you can pull out that little slip of paper that's in your bulletin and uh, follow along in this story as well. Here's how it starts. Jesus and His disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, some others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. 
See, by the time we come to this part of the story, there's a lot of ideas that are circulating around about who this Jesus is. He's been very active, right? He's been here, he's been there, he's been up and down the coast, he's crisscrossed the lake, we don't know how many times. He's even gone beyond the borders of Israel. Jesus has been healing people, he's been driving out demons, he's even sent his own disciples out in pairs. So there's been groups of them traveling all over, proclaiming the kingdom of God has come, and healing people, and driving out demons, and everywhere they go, they're making waves. And and there's this message that's going out that the time of God's deliverance has come. That that God has returned on the scene. That his king has come. And that everything is being made right. Everything's changing. And Jesus knows this. He knows that, that, that the ripples have been going out. And so he asks his closest followers what people have been saying. And what are the, what are the public polls? What are the, what are the, what are the opinion, the opinion columnists of their day? What are they writing about me? Based on what they've seen, based on what they've experienced, based on what they've heard, what's the consensus? And so his disciples trot out the popular opinions of the day, which really, in, in summary, Jesus is a prophet. Prophet was a category that the people of the day had. Um, you know, it's a category they could sort of fit this Jesus character into. Because if you look back at their own history, you look back at their story, Jesus matched the prophet status. Prophets had healed in the past. Uh, prophets had challenged religious authorities. Uh, prophets had announced God's deliverance. Prophet, prophets had, had looked and talked and, and worked, you know, similar to Jesus. And so that's the category that they put him in. He's a prophet. But before we go on, I actually think this question that Jesus asks his disciples is a great question for us. You know, he asks his disciples, what are the people around you saying about me? So I want to ask you, what are the people around you saying about Jesus? Like, what are your friends saying about Jesus? What are the, the people you work with? What are they saying about Jesus? Um, based, on, based on what your workmates or your colleagues or your neighbors have experienced by knowing you, or experienced by engaging with the church in Creston, maybe, or, or maybe our church in particular, based on what they've seen and heard, who are they saying that Jesus is? Ever thought of that, uh, about that question? What are they saying about Jesus? Any, any thoughts? Anyone willing to shout something out? Uh, what are your friends saying about Jesus? Let's get interactive here. What are they saying? He's a good person. Yeah. What else? It's kind of a joke. Yeah. Uh-huh. Anyone else? What are your friends saying about Jesus? He was a man who rebelled against the authorities of his time. Well, let's just keep thinking about this. Hold this. There's a lot of different ideas about Jesus. And one of the reasons we're hosting Alpha is to create a kind of environment where we can actually, you know, a safe place where people can ask questions and not be shut down. A place where we can ask the question, ultimately, who is this Jesus guy? We're going to ask a lot of different questions, but that's one of the central questions, of course, that the Alpha course poses. And Terry, when she was trolling through a number of the promotional materials Alpha sent us, she came across this great video, and it just suited our text for today so perfectly. We're going to run it. Go ahead. Um, who do I think Jesus is? Uh, Jesus, for us, was a prophet. Some guy with a ridiculously awesome first name. Um, I think that he is a fictitious person. 
uh, through literature, Jesus has become uh, sort of a larger person than he actually may have been. Um, I believe that he existed. I believe that he was a man. I mean, he probably did exist. A lot of people around that time went around claiming they were prophets, and for some reason he was charismatic. He just stuck. Jesus was uh, possibly a man who lived 2,000 years ago? I think he was probably like probably like Gandhi, one of those really cool prophet guys, but I don't know if he was the son of God. I, I, have, I have my doubts about that. Jesus uh, was a carpenter. <laughs> uh, he was a man who lived many years ago, and he's God's son who came to the world to bring us the salvation. His death? Well, his death matters. It showed his sacrifice, but it's hard, it's hard to believe in the sacrifice because it's like, it's Jesus and he's all powerful and like, does he feel pain and who is he? Is he even real? So, I, it's really hard to... It seems that there's many different versions of Jesus. Uh, you can see why I showed that video. I couldn't help but, but show it. You know, who is Jesus? Well, everything from a great teacher of timeless truths, a normal dude who got mixed up with a fanatical crowd, or maybe even just a mythical figure that was dreamt up by the early church. The identity of Jesus still has a lot of different answers. Did you, did you know that? Were you kind of aware of that? Is, is this something that you've, Actually, and I, I say this openly, I say this as a, an open question, is it something that you've thought about when you are at work or at school or interacting with friends or neighbors? Have you ever wondered, what do my friends and neighbors think about who Jesus is? Like, what, what kind of opinions do they have? And I guess the next question would be, is that even a conversation that you're willing to have? Something that you're willing to open and ask about? And if they start, you know, throwing out some ideas, is that something you're willing to roll with and maybe invite people into further discussion or further dialogue? A place where people can actually say what they think and maybe it's something you really disagree with, but are they welcome to say it and to question it and to ask it? And, and are we willing together to explore who Jesus is? I think we need to be willing to. And that's one of the reasons we're hosting the Alpha Course. But in general, as followers of Jesus or as people who are exploring who Jesus is, we need to be willing to ask that question because it's into your friends and the families around you and the people in our community that Jesus has called us to live and ultimately to help people find and follow him. But Jesus doesn't stop there, right? He takes the opinion poll. He, he asks his disciples, what are people saying about me? But, but then he makes it personal. Looking right into their eyes, Jesus asks the, the central question to this whole story that Mark has been leading us toward. He says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Knowing what everybody else says, what about you? Given all the opinions, all the ideas that are floating out there, all the confusion perhaps, in light of what you have seen, in light of what you have experienced, in light of what you have heard, what do you think? Who am I? And Peter, in one of the highest moments of his life, shouts out the answer that Mark has been leading us toward all along. Peter says, You are the Messiah. 
You just imagine little bells going off and buzzers going and trees clapping and Peter is correct. You go, Peter. You know, everyone else has been missing it. Everyone else has misunderstood. Everyone else is wrong. But you, Peter, you have got it. Right? Is that kind of what we thought? Well, what do you expect Jesus to do with this declaration? Sort of go, man, Peter, you are so awesome. You know, pat him on the back, reward him, tell him he's ready to go. You finally got it. You've arrived here at the summit. Just go and tell everybody. Well, that's not what Jesus does, right? He does something that's both familiar to us and strange at the same time. It's familiar because we've seen him do it a lot. But it's strange because we kind of think at this point, finally he would have changed his tactic. But no, Peter finally answers something correctly finally gets the identity of Jesus and Jesus tells him not to tell anyone else. Jesus warned them all not to tell anyone about him. Right? And we kind of go, really? Isn't that what this whole thing's about? Why would you say don't tell anyone about him? What, what do you think is going on here? You. What, what do you think is going on here? Why does he say don't tell anybody? That's yeah, Doug has got it. It's bizarre. Why? Why has he shut Peter down here? Any idea, Sherry? Just thinking maybe um, because often at the time people's idea of the Messiah was that he would be like a king and he would destroy the Romans and that. Okay. Good. Sherry's going to preach the rest of the sermon. (laughs) Yeah, you're right on track. Anyone else? Any ideas as to why um, he would be shutting Peter down at this point or shutting them all down? This big declaration of who Jesus is, his identity is finally unveiled. Now don't tell anybody. Anyone else want to chip in an idea there? Right. So it would there's the the, the effect it would have uh, in having even more people swamped to him, and, and what effects that might have both in gaining the attention of political leadership and hampering his ability to teach and disciple his followers. All of that. Yeah. Okay, timing. How so, Val? Well, it's just it was not the time. It couldn't get out there. Right. So there's a timing issue. Maybe it's too early. Yeah. Did, did they know who he was? Deborah said, did they really understand? Well, I think the answer is no. I mean, that, 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 that's why I think this is going to go. Because, let, let me ask this. Was Peter's answer correct? Technically, yes. But what he means by what he says is almost certainly completely backwards. In the immortal words of Inigo Montoya, <laughs> you keep using that word. I do not think that word means what you think it means, right? For any Princess Bride fans out there, it, it, it's that, there's that kind of thing going on. That... that Messiah, Jesus, you're the Messiah. But in Peter's mouth, it's like that's both true and false. Because Jesus knows what they mean when they say you're the Messiah is not what he means when he says, I'm the Messiah. And because of that, Jesus knows he's going to have to work and work hard to radically redefine what Messiah means to his own disciples. And how is he going to do that? First, he's going to begin to tell them by explaining it to them. And he does that immediately. We're going to get to that. Hey, guys, I know you're ready to chant the victory cheer, but Messiah is not going to be a pretty thing. 
But more than teach them, Jesus is now, and I think this is what the second half of Mark is all about, Jesus is now going to have to live out the true definition of Messiah. He's going to have to show them in his life, this is what Messiah looks like, so that their definition of Messiah can be ultimately changed. And until Jesus does that, until he dies, until he's risen again from the dead, his own disciples will not fully understand what it means that Jesus is the Messiah. So listen to what Jesus begins to do in order to change the definition of Messiah. You could say that the first half of Mark in some ways is all sweetness and light. And it immediately changes here. And the next half of Mark takes on a much more ominous tone 